Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and it's Sean-tober, 2023. It's what Sean looks forward to every single year. The only thing he has to look forward to in his life. Sean, how you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you for bringing me back from the depths of my depression of not being able to do Sean-tober. Um, yeah. I know the last 12 months have been hard for you, and a lot of people out there are, are they're chanting Sean end it, you know, <laughs> repeatedly, and they don't want you here. Uh, but fuck the naysayers. We're bringing you back. We want you to live simply so you can come back next year and the year after to continue to produce content for us. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. It's kind of a weird, uh, weird day to be starting Sean-tober because it is... 80 degrees and I was just at the beach having a whiskey sour off with a friend and uh, now I come here and talk about spooky movies but it doesn't feel very spooky yet global warming no, much? I'm, I'm currently uh, yeah I'm, I'm sweating my dick off here there's a fucking inflatable ghost in my front yard and I don't feel like he's earned his place yet so uh, yeah yeah the, the Michigan game they played in Nebraska yesterday and it was 95 <laughs> degrees I was like, what the fuck? It's all right, man. Uh, a couple more years, we're going to have some beachfront property on Lake Michigan and, uh, you know, uh, Lake St. Clair, re respectively. So it's good. Global warming's fine. It's just turning the upper Midwest into a tropical paradise, which is what people have been asking for. <laughs> uh, but we're not going to be talking about the future tropical paradise. That's right. We're going to be talking about the current one, which would be washed away by the ocean in probably 20 to 25 years. Because this Sean Tober, we've we found another uh, weird exploitation filmmaker who Sean has not previously been exposed to, and we've really had to plunge the depths because the depths is true. This is from the depths. <laughs> the depths is true. <laughs> uh, well, previously when we did this, we were like, "Oh, like this is easy. Like, hey, here's here's Joe D'Amato. Like, but he's a guy that." you know, we all enjoy to a certain degree and, and he's made some really good, interesting stuff and he's well known. If you're talking about Italian horror exploitation cinema in the 1970s, 1980s, like Joe D'Amato comes up, he's a guy. Uh, but what ended up happening was you, you started to really get into this shit. And at this point, you know, I, I guarantee you've probably seen more Jez Franco movies than I have, you know, like there's all this stuff where you've you've sort of lapped us in in a lot of ways so now uh myros and, and me and jack and jake and everybody else we've kind of had to put our heads together and go how do we upset sean in the year of our lord 2023 because it ain't fucking 2016 anymore how do you do this and i think we may have found a way maybe a little bit a little, little bit of an edge here yeah i mean i had never heard of uh paul riser before but um I'm glad that we're getting into his, or, you know, I didn't know that he made films. Um, yeah, you just, you just thought it was, it was all mad about yeah. you and nothing else. No, right? I had never heard of Tom Ritter uh, before. Tim Ritter? <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, he went for Paul Reiser's eschewing the obvious John Ritter joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, like I said, I uh, was just at the beach, so got some. Uh, anyway. See, Steve is equally flustered. He didn't even introduce I know, me. I know. I'm just I floating that. out here like a... Uh, 
I'm not. I'm not flustered. I'm just trying to bury you. That's okay. that's what I'm doing here. Well, I uh, figured yeah. you would be like uh, making fun of Jack. You know, he's he's skipping the pod. Uh, you just got right into business. Very professional. We already told him. Jack's Jack's on a little sabbatical. He's in the fucking motherland right now. He's in Ireland, uh, cranking his hog off in fucking <laughs> Limerick or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. He's. I'm sure he's having a perfectly adequate hey. time. Although he's going to be there for like a week, but he's only going to be in Dublin for a day. So I don't know what the fuck he's going to do. So. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, this is Sean Tober, <laughs> and um, uh, <laughs> the, the man of the hour. Fuck off, Myros. Fuck off, Jack. Yeah, so I had never heard of Tim Ritter before, and I didn't have any expectations. Uh, and but I was pleased to to, to see the the sort of like time frame that we were looking at, eighty six to ninety five. Um, but that also comes with a lot of uh, you know influences that are hard to shirk. Uh, that I'm sure we will get into. Um, and, but I, I mean, I, you know, we'll get into the whole thing, but, but this was, uh, you know, he's an interesting character for sure. He is, he is. And, you know, let me, let me just give you a little background on our boy, Tim Ritter, because he is a, a little unorthodox. I think even within people who are you know, big horror exploitation fans. So Tim Ritter's a Florida man. And <laughs> that's not necessarily what makes him interesting, but he actually started making feature-length films when he was just a teenager. He was like 16, 17 years old. Uh, so he made an anthology called Twisted Illusions, which if you poke around the internet, I'm sure you can find. Uh, and he's sort of a, a, kind of a self-taught indie horror guy, but he's been a mainstay since the mid-1980s. Uh, and, and he's a very specific type of regional horror filmmaker that doesn't really exist anymore. So... Uh, he was al almost like the last of, of his breed. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, but he, you know, he only shot in non-standard formats. So a lot of Super 8, uh, one film on 16 millimeter, a lot of shot on video stuff. And he also follows a long line, uh, a very prestigious lineage of Florida weirdos who, you know, you've got guys like uh, William uh, Griffey, who did Sting of Death and, and Mako. You've got uh, Jack Arnold's Creature from the Black Lagoon from the 1950s. You got guys like you know, Herschel Gordon Lewis, who did Blood Feast, 2000 Maniacs, Color Me Blood Red, all that stuff. And these were all shot in South Florida, which there's something about a cheapy Florida horror film where you're watching it and you just know, like you could feel it. There's something there in its DNA. So uh, Ritter, the other thing that's kind of interesting about him is early on, he found himself kind of among a group of collaborators who would leave Florida and find massive success el elsewhere. So you've got uh, guys like Johnny Britt who worked on music for uh, Truth or Dare. And he ended up doing music for like Oscar award-winning films and massive blockbusters. Uh, he also worked with Bob Shelley, who has done loads of Hollywood films. As far as like practical special effects guys go, he's one of the best known. And he, <laughs> the other thing that's fun about Ritter is he kind of had his own cast of players, and this is common when you see guys who are regional filmmakers and they have a, a pretty large output. They tend to, there's, there's a shallow pool to, to get your actors from and your crew. So guys like Joel D. Wincoop are going to show up a lot. Uh, Sean, you big Joel D. Wincoop guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, JDW, super influential. <laughs> So he's he's in a lot of shot on video. Uh, oh, well, a whole lot, and not even just limited to Florida. The man travels through these he regional. He's, he's, a, he's a strange fellow. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, nothing but glowing reviews for Joel D. Wincoop because I guess he's like the most professional man alive considering the quality of, of uh, films that he tends to make. But uh, if you're going to watch one Joel D. Wincoop film, I recommend Lost Faith, which is the only shot on video Christian martial arts film ever created to my knowledge. So uh, something to check out. Uh, the thing is, is Tim Ritter is a peddler of sleaze, but it's a different type of sleaze. This is Florida man sleaze. And I think the best way to kind <clears> of <throat> sum it up is if you're a Florida guy making movies in Florida, it, John Waters said that, you know, he was making horror films for the art house and people in Florida were making horror for the grindhouse. So it really is like an added layer of disgust. And when we're talking about real Florida men, we're talking about the, the fucking rider dies. We're talking about the Tim Ritters here, not like a Darren Lynn Bousman or an Adam Wingard who fucked off to Hollywood. We want, we want real, real Florida men. That's who we support on this podcast. So that's a little bit of Tim Ritter. So at the tender age of, gosh, he must've been like 18. Uh, Tim Ritter decided to make a movie called Truth or Dare. And Sean, this is actually his earlier uh, film that he made that was just like a series of shorts kind of that all tied together loosely. Uh, there was an early version of Truth or Dare in there. So you just want to kind of expand on that idea. And that's how we got his first just, you know, single narrative feature length film. And this is interesting from just a pure production standpoint, too, because not only do you have like an actual child making this uh, weird slasher film, but it's one of the earliest examples of a film that was not just made only for straight to video release, but it was actually marketed that way. So if you go and you watch the trailer for Truth or Dare, it's just like not for theatrical release. This is Truth or Dare, which is fucking crazy. Like I don't, I like now it's it's almost a sign of embarrassment, right? Because you don't have that prestige. But it was kind of novel at the time. Uh, and this is how Tim Ritter made his name because early video stores adopted this movie uh, by the fucking boatload. They shipped like 30K copies right out the bat straight to video stores. Uh, he had distribution through VSI, which is like a big distro uh, from Chicago back then. So this was a big splash for a literal child from Florida. So uh, I. I guess this is, you could kind of sum it up as a prototypical slasher, uh, but at the same time, it's, I think it's a good snapshot of Tim Ritter's interest, which is, uh, for a, a person who made all the movies we're going to discuss today, like, I don't know, it, from, the fact, from the point that he was a teenager on through his, like, mid-20s, he's got real divorced dad energy kind of coursing through his veins, don't you think? Divorced dad energy, uh... He definitely has an issue with women, uh, or maybe, <laughs> maybe just one issue, or maybe uh, an issue with uh, how people he thinks are going to be around his women. Um, you know, I would call him kind of uh, Wong Kar Wai of Florida with some of these editing techniques. I mean, you yeah, know, some, he does. He does have the shutter speed. He thing has going, that, but so also that's. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, Truth or Dare kind of took me uh, by surprise because I wasn't expecting this like phone call scene to play like three times. And the second time that it played, I was like, is the file fucked up? Like, 
What, what is going on? <laughs> and then it keeps going. Uh, oh, okay. Interesting. We got a savant on our hands. Um, <laughs> it's a common, that's a common thing in, in British yeah. movies. I think you could probably get the same from Creep, too, where you're like, is this just like looping around back at itself? Have I already seen this stripper's butthole <laughs> or is this a new butthole? And yeah, I mean, there's lots of flourishes, uh, you know, whether it's the shutter speed stuff, it's it's like a quick uh, cutting like back and forth between two things um, going in. I think he does like some negative stuff as well. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I give him some props for wanting to to do something he's definitely a, a singular voice mm -hmm. yeah there's uh there's there's not another tim ritter out there and <laughs> i don't know the, the other thing about this that's kind of shocking to me considering that it was 16 millimeter shoestring budget straight to video store shelves like normally movies of this size scope budget at the time uh they tend to reel things in a little bit more, but Ritter kind of fucking went for it. And compared to any of his later movies, this has some of the like just hallmarks of big budget filmmaking. Like he he's got a fucking car crash. He's got explosions that feel like they were done without a permit. Uh, and I know, like you know, after the car the car chase scene when. Uh, the stunt driver, he like runs into an electrical pole. I guess that wasn't supposed to happen. And he knocked out power to like the entire city of Palm Beach. And uh, so that was that was fucking awesome. So shout out young Tim Ritter for being a, a domestic terrorist. But yeah, I, I don't know. Like He was constantly surprising me with this one with just the the quality of it, all things considered, especially if you go from this to, say, Killing Spree's next film which feels much more confined and sort of less ambitious in its scope. But um, yeah, I don't know. This is, it's just a good fucking is this one that was shot in like lock and tackle slash like 1.6 or 1.8 or something like that. Right. Yeah. This is the wide, <laughs> widest screen of the bunch. I think. Yeah. This <laughs> it looks pretty funny, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of like Mike Myers in this, correct? yeah well, and joker uh, obviously proto joker <laughs> as as i was saying proto jokerism yeah uh yeah because it's very much about uh you know mental health crisis in american men um you could call it a critical man you could <laughs> which i didn't know was the uh subtext but um but yeah, uh, is yeah. So, am I off base with the Mike Myers thing? The the, the mask seems seems no. pretty. <laughs> oh, I think that, that that's what I that was kind of my takeaway. Is like, oh, when Steve says it was a short film, I I don't do any research, so you know I don't know these things. But uh, yeah, I I was like, well, this is an interesting choice to expand a short film. Don't expand the short film. Just tack a Halloween ripoff to the back half of it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty much it. And yeah, this is, he's clearly inspired by Halloween Friday the 13th. And I guess his, his mass killer, it's this, I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to be because it's a at copper one point, mask. Uh -huh. yeah, but, but the, but just like how he gets it and why he gets it is very unclear to me other than he's, he's in the, this mental institution <laughs> and someone, someone dares him in a game of truth or dare to kind of like 
cut his own face off, which he starts to do. So then at the mental institution, they give him a mask. Okay, fine. No, they but don't give a, him a mask, Steve. They have like a welding class. And, a welding uh, and, class. And he <laughs> makes his mask and then refuses to take it off ever again. Copper, yeah, copper mask. But it just, it looks like it's made out of like gold yeah. Play-Doh. And it, and it has this like golden ape-like appearance to it. It's, it's somebody right I mean, you me. may say it looks that way, but that's because I'm pretty sure that's exactly <laughs> what it is made of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, Sean, to, to your point, too, just now, it, it does look like not when Jim Carrey puts on the titular mask, but when it's just like in yeah, his hands yeah, yeah. as a hunk of wood, it looks like that, but spray painted <laughs> gold. And I guess Ritter said that he wanted to do like he wanted to do Mike Myers, but more inspired by the mask from uh, the album cover of, of the Quiet Riot oh, record. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so th this is basically, I guess, him with with modeling clay trying to form the Quiet Riot record. <laughs> what album is that? Metal Militia. Here we are. Uh, metal Health, probably. Oh, metal Health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. This being uh, about mental it's health. One of my favorite touches <laughs> in the film is the uh, mental health uh, ticker tape. Uh, the like text on the screen whenever we're at, we're, we get the, the insert of the, the mental health hospital and it says like mental health mm -hmm. hospital six weeks later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it just slowly yeah, types it's itself like, out. It's great stuff. So, and just to, to catch the listeners up, if you haven't seen this one, uh, you could find it. It's out there. And it's basically the setup is this guy is, he, he's had nervous breakdowns over the course of his life because he would play truth or dare as a child and do fucked up shit. And we get a nice flashback to illustrate this where a child like cuts his wrist with a razor blade and makes all the other children scream. Which did you know, Sean, the kid cutting his wrist, uh, the, the, the young Michael Myers character, that's uh, A.J. McLean from Backstreet Boys. I so, did, uh, Tim Ritter gave I did him his, see his uh, that debut. he was on the, the <laughs> credits. So yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's exciting. I think I think every Backstreet Boys fan should definitely pop this one in. But um, yeah. So and then so the, you just got to wrap that up in uh, men's mental health and Tim Ritter just working through things with uh, how his characters feel about women. So of course this guy he gets a, he gets a job and he tries to go home to his wife and wouldn't you know she's getting railed by another dude. So uh, this kind of sets him off into into psycho killer mode and then we're I off to the races and. Yeah, I, it, it does. It does happen quite frequently, you know, uh, to all the wives out there. If if you want to if you want to fuck other dudes, I would recommend getting, uh, you know, maybe a, a better schedule from your <laughs> husband or uh, there's a lot of options now. Just figure yeah, out yeah. where to get rail. I think but this is a, more of a pre cell phone problem, I guess, you know. Yeah. You gotta yeah, turn around and grab something for work. Oh, boy. No, there's no phone call back then. Yep, exactly. It was it was a lot lot easier to to find your significant other getting stuff uh, <laughs> yeah, back yeah. in those days. So I I think the problem for me with this movie, which I, I would say the first half of this gives me big like uh, Silent Night Deadly Night Two mm -hmm. energy, uh, and a lot of that is John Brace is really fucking having a ham sandwich with this thing. 
And <laughs> so it, it becomes kind of a, a problem when, when all of a sudden we decide we, we've got to do the Michael Myers thing because then it's like this guy who's going big and having a lot of fun and driving the movie with his uh, insane bad acting is, is all of a sudden a silent killer wearing this dumbass yeah. mask. And the energy just kind of like leaves the movie entirely. For sure. Yeah, I mean, because they're just trying to get to that point, right? Like, not really thinking about what works best for the movie. It's all sort of, you know, uh, uh, scaffolding for that. For the, for, yeah. yeah, a lot easier to sell the, the movie when you can throw uh, a better looking drawing of or painting of the mask on the cover, you know? People go, whoa, what's that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, this, this is kind of indicative, too, of... Uh, if you could point to just a structural issue in a lot of these early Ritter films, it's he's got a great idea for an action packed, exciting final, like 15 to 20 minutes. But then it becomes a problem of like getting there with consistent enough pacing to keep you fully engaged, uh, which is not always a strong suit. So um, yeah, I don't know, but there's, there really are some, some high points here. Um, Cinema has a, a long and storied history of women with like old timey baby buggies just getting blasted by cars. And I think this is one of the best examples uh, just just a masterful baby getting squished scene that you could just watch on a loop. Got that going. Uh, Asbestos Felt gets his head blown up by a grenade. Asbestos mm-hmm, Felt, mm-hmm. of course, is Except uh, does one he? of the many muses. <laughs> The question Except is, does, does anyone get their head blown up with a grenade in this movie? Because that portion of the film was a little confounding. It was like, is this supposed to be happening? Are there, are there, is there anyone else in the room with him? I really have no fucking idea. Cause, well, I mean, it's the problem with critical madness, right? We don't, we don't know who he's, he's actually killing and if they're actually being killed. This is another uh, Tim Ritterism. It's like, is, is this guy crazy or is he really doing crazy things? We don't, we don't actually know. Uh, but I mean, on screen, we see asbestos belt eat a grenade and his head explodes. So, right. uh, that's worth something. But that, I mean, usually nothing in this movie is too ambiguous. Uh, that would be giving it probably a little too much credit to go all the way to, is any of yeah. this happening? But there, yeah, it's I just that it's, one it's particular cell, the one particular like, scene where he pulls out the knife and uh, he's playing truth or dare with these two mental patients and suddenly he has a grenade. But then when the orderlies find him, it, it seems like he's just alone cutting his own face off. So I don't know yeah, that any yeah. of that actually happened. Sure. Sure. But, and, and this is, this is what we get to after he, uh, you know, after you catch a dude banging your, your wife and she's like, I tried to tell you that I was banging other dudes and you weren't listening, which is great too. Cause then you get this like flashback montage sequence that I absolutely loved where, um, she is repeatedly trying to tell him that she's fucking other people and he just is like uh, uh, just wandering off absentmindedly and not catching the fucking drift to the point where like she answers the phone call and it's just this conversation of why hello person that I am sleeping with yes I would like to bang you later and he's like whoa who was that honey it, it's great but uh, you know after after you catch your wife with another man what do you do Sean you uh Henry David Thoreau, you go off into the woods to live deliberately. So he <laughs> go for a real long drive, real <laughs> yeah. long, and real, real <laughs> long drive. And who do you pick up on your long drive? Why a, uh, a a young horny hitchhiker who you play truth or dare with, and you end up mangling yourself. So, 
Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the setup for the whole thing. And then it's just this whole mental health crisis playing out and, uh, murders and car crashes. But, uh, goddamn, uh, it might be for a guy who's been making films for four decades. You could probably make a strong argument that this is the high point of his career. It's, uh, it's, it's something special. I don't know if special is the right word. It's interesting. It's compelling. It's, it's a very unique vision of, of what this kind of movie can look like in this time period. So I don't know. I think this is a good way to kick off Sean Coburn. Do you feel fully baptized in the cool waters of the, of South I Florida? I do. Uh, and I think it's, I don't know. It's interesting thinking back, uh, after sort of like mainlining these movies. Um, I thought that this one was, I walked away thinking it was the most successful, but as we're talking about it, like it, it's maybe not the most interesting to, to talk about maybe just cause the other two have so much going on um yeah but it, you know it, it's pretty straightforward uh but i mean i think the big the big uh thing that it kicks off for anybody going on the the ritter spree is that you're looking at an amateur um this guy you know if you've seen american movie you know it's it's not far off from that type of filmmaking or you know the big thing is uh, which, you know, is, you know, rural uh, American, you know, homemade cinema. Um, that, that's that's what it is. But the big thing is, for me at least, um, and we can get into this with uh, uh, the next one, which is called Killing Spree, of course. Killing Spree. Is that if you ever made films, like if you spend like your high school years like me, like trying your hand at making any sort of like narrative features or narrative like shorts or whatever. Um, you just recognize a lot in these that you're not used to seeing in commercial products for better and certainly for worse. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of the golden era of this stuff too. Like right now, I feel like if, if any of us could dig up the VHS copies of movies we made when we were 14, it seems like there's an entire market, like Vinegar Syndrome might put it out on Blu-ray. It's entirely possible. 4K restoration, like Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's a good way of, of kind of looking at Ritter's early career is, uh, and, and shot on video movies specifically from this era, era uh, in particular, because there's, there's so much of this amateurism where a lot of times it's clunky and it feels sluggish, but there's also these moments where it's genuinely surprising yeah. Yeah, yeah, and kind yeah. of energizing because you're like, I, I don't people, they don't make them like this anymore or they never made them like that in the Isn't first that what somebody place. says when they're reading a Fangora, <laughs> Fangoria uh, in Killing Spree, something like that. Um, that is correct. <laughs> it's hundred percent uh, correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's to give you a better picture or more concrete idea of what we're talking about. These are filmmakers that nobody sat down and was like, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't leave in the part where they walk in the house and walk to the couch and sit down and grab the magazine and go, oh, what's for dinner tonight? Like, you don't need all of that to tell that story. <laughs> but, you know, you don't know that when you're yeah. an amateur uh, and you're, you know, independently funded and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, and you don't have, and, and the technical stuff too, you just oh, yeah. you're kind of mimicking what you've seen in other movies, 
for better or for worse. But no one's just like, hey, there's a 180 degree line that <laughs> oh, more you should importantly, pay attention to. More like, no one's that, saying that. It's like, <laughs> no, so you see, like, when you're shooting uh, towards the street and the car sounds are kind of like overcoming uh, the audio, but then when you shoot the reverse shot, it sounds totally different. Maybe rethink that. <laughs> yeah. It's, these things come with time and, and patience and experience. Yeah, I'm and editing software and equipment that can mask some of that, and you know, just stuff that they probably didn't have access to. Although this is, I think, probably the highest budget of the bunch. I, I would oh, say, yeah. yeah, it's but yeah, it, yeah. I think it kind of suffers for that, frankly. I mean, is this his best film, quote unquote? Probably, but it's also like not good, <laughs> and the, for the fact that it almost resembles like. Uh, an actual movie You're in some ways Spree? the quality is oh, no, I was like, no i'm talking Spree about truth or dare movie, but okay. okay i'm talking okay, about truth gotcha. or dare which uh to me yeah. is uh it, 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 it i think the fact that it almost looks like uh just a, a low budget movie from an independent filmmaker as opposed mm. to an sov trash fire is uh it puts it in a different category where it can't survive for me. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, I, I'd rather just watch the stuff that's complete fucking train wreck nonsense. And uh, this movie, it, it's trying too hard to be an actual movie, and it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely a curiosity, though, and it's, oh, it's yeah. just the historical context is super interesting, too, because, again, it was one of these really early just video store mainstays from that era. Yeah, I think and, it's historically uh, important, especially if you're into SOV, yeah. but uh, it, and also it's worth watching, frankly, for uh, John Brace. His performance is, is just a blast. Yeah, fucking great. And, hey, I, I, when I was doing research for this, because uh, I actually did fucking research this week because I had time to do it. Look at that. See, I could be a professional podcaster every once in a while. Uh, I found an insane clip from, I don't even know, like a decade ago, maybe, and Elijah Wood was on the Craig Ferguson late night show, and he was talking about this movie. He was talking about Truth or Dare and how it, like it inspired him and, and made him love horror movies because he saw it when he was five years Weird. old. And so it's just, it's this insane conversation like from a decade ago. <laughs> Elijah Wood? I don't think he's from England. Oh, maybe I don't I'm know where the fuck he's from. Him. No, I think uh, he's American. Maybe I was uh, confusing him with... Where's that uh, little Hobbit man from? With uh, Daniel Radcliffe. No. I mean, <laughs> no, I who not talking about, Harry but... Potter. He's I think from Daniel Radcliffe like, oh, and, uh, He's from the, the fucking... The breadbasket of fucking just being bored off your ass in suburbia and watching cheap horror movies because you probably go to the video store every other night. He's from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. God bless Oh, yeah, so, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's, oh, that's truth or dare country, baby. But anyway, <laughs> uh, enough about Elijah. Let's move on to Tim Ritter's follow-up <laughs> here. And <laughs> so I, I guess... After the experience of making Truth or Dare, uh, Ritter ran into some problems because it was it was a successful film. If you you know budget to distribution, he worked with a real distributor. He worked with VSI, uh, but VSI tried to fuck him over, and they tried to basically take his name completely out of the credits the credits except for a story by credit. So all of the money that he made from Truth or Dare, uh, from this massive distribution that it had, 
he basically lost it in a legal battle with the Chicago distributor just to get his name back on the film. Uh, so what do you do? Well, he decided uh, he, wa- he wasn't going to work basically outside of his Florida sphere anymore. He wasn't going to fuck with big distributors. And this is kind of, you know, once he gets to Killing Spree, this is where you get like the full evolution of Tim Ritter and, and what he would become as a filmmaker and how he focused all of his filmmaking on just being a regional shot on video kind of guerrilla style guy. And that's when we get to uh, Killing Spree, which tell me if you've heard this one. It's about a guy who's losing his mind and is trying to just kind of work through some issues he has. <laughs> I feel like, do I feel like a broken record? Yes, I do. Um, Specifically cheating is, once again. <laughs> cheating once again. It's Except it's not <laughs> actually, which, you know, I don't know. <laughs> a lot I don't of even know, you in know, these movies, right? <laughs> it's quite a bit, quite a bit. And, and you know, I'm not going to fucking sit here and be Mr. Armchair Psychologist. Like, well, clearly Tim Ritter, uh, he, uh, he hates women and... Uh, He's working through his own issues. And, no, like he, I mean, though. God, he's making this shit when he was a... <laughs> thank you, thank you. But, I mean, he, he was like a literal fucking child when he was writing these and making these movies. I think he was, he was probably like 19 or 20. Like, what the fuck does he know about how a marriage functions? Yeah. So, I, I think at this point he was like, I know this guy named Asbestos Felt, which is his God-given fucking name. And... He looks like an actual lunatic, so why not put him in a movie where he looks crazy? I, 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 that has got to be the, the nucleus of, of, of this film. And Killing Spree is special for me because this is the film that introduced Myros and I to the Ritterverse. And uh, it, was, it was a very special evening because Myros and I were up at like 3 in the morning Mm-hmm. And we had like a, a 30 pack of beer and this was a common occurrence. It was probably like a Tuesday or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we would drink heavily into the late night, early morning. And we would watch dumb shit that we got from Netflix or Blockbuster or wherever the fuck. And we happened to have killing spree. I don't even know. Like I would just add things to our Netflix list without even thinking about it. This one I probably saw. Oh, it's called Killing Spree, and there's a guy named Asbestos Felt in it. So clearly, we need to watch this. It gets added to the list. We're watching it. We see this guy, Asbestos Felt, and he just—he looks—he is the definition of a Florida man. He just—he just has this look about him. His hair is going off in every direction. He's got this like scraggly beard. Uh, he's very like sinewy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. He just—he has this weird presence to him. And so we did what. Any normal person would have done at three in the morning on a Tuesday. We looked up asbestos felt in the white pages. <laughs> and we called him. We yeah. called asbestos felt. We looked him up in the fucking phone book and we called him. And he answered his phone. <laughs> and then we talked to him for a very long time. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't even it wasn't even like groggy. It was like two rings, normal pickup. It might as it might as well have been like fucking. Three in the afternoon on a special spell time. And he just talked to us about shit. And we were completely plastered. And we're like, listen, we're watching Killers 3. We think you're fucking great. We want to make a movie with you, man. <laughs> like, this is how we're talking to. And he didn't hang up on us. We had a pleasant fucking conversation with this dude. Uh, I, I became friends with him on Facebook. Like, it was this whole fucking thing. 
And it was weird. And we never talked to him on the phone again. I don't know why. Probably because we were like, what the fuck are we doing? But, um, <laughs> and, and, that's but that's crazy. the kind of man that this, that is in this movie. He's, um, a, he's a prince. So he's a prince. He is a wonderful, wonderful human being. God bless Asbestos Phelps. And Asbestos, if you remember a phone call that you got in like, I don't know, 2007 from two dipshits, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah but, a little late to be calling. Not, not very appropriate yeah, on our part. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that to you. And, and now that I'm an older, wiser man. Uh, but anyways, uh, Sean, I know you didn't like this one at all, but uh, Killer Spree kicks ass. It's just about it's some guys sitting around in the most Florida ass oh, house yeah. you've ever seen. And uh, it's just like it's it's amazing. Yeah, uh, just like the the weird domestic uh-huh. setup. For the, I probably, it's probably the first thirty minutes I love of this movie. The shot, it's yeah, insane. I, so one of the early scenes of this setup is like, so apparently the the dude uh, as best as felt, his he's best friend. Well, yeah, Tom in the movie <laughs> on planes. He's like a plane mechanic, and uh, yeah, yeah. one of his best friends is. <laughs> oh sorry his best friend is this man who's like 30 years his senior probably 20 and is just like a weird florida like like stout like guy yeah like a like a guy who retired from new york yeah Yeah, exactly he's He's like a new jersey guy who used to own a bunch of car dealerships and Uh uh-huh uh, he comes over for dinner because he's best friends, and with uh, with they Tom tell us this repeatedly. And the shot is just like uh, just the mise en scène just jumps out. Um, it's like a shot from the corner of the ceiling, and at, down at this table, and it's a long, it's a rectangular table, and uh, Tom and his wife are sitting against the wall, like. <laughs> <laughs> like to the point where you you probably had to sit down on the chair and bring the table forward like there's no there's no getting out from this table uh, I mean clearly so that they could get the shot but it's just like such an awkward thing to be staring at not to mention like to listen to, to the dialogue and then it keeps like kind of cutting into these uh, POV shots uh, when each of them are talking and it's just so uh unsettling unpleasant interesting it's all it's all that and in just basic conversation it has nothing to do with like the plot other than the fact that you know the strangeness of these two people being best friends or whatever um just just the basic Mm -hmm. uh plot mechanism is very uh unpleasant oh yeah it's the the whole thing is deeply unpleasant and unnerving and this house that they're in Everything about it feels <clears throat> like, I don't know, just like normal, like liminal spaces that are littered throughout this fucking movie are the most upsetting things. Like, what, what is this fucking house? Like, yeah, that's, he's in that's a neighborhood, the question, right? But it looks like, like it's this, surrounded I, by I, vacant lots. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's like, uh, I think it's like a new build that has not right. been sold. Like, he, he, yeah, yes. that they just like were allowed there's to be no in. Decoration. But you'll, you'll also note that there's really really not any uh gore none of the big uh, violent scenes are occurring in the house i feel like they had pretty strict restrictions on like don't fuck anything up but the whole thing is this is stark white 
uh, <laughs> what like three props of furniture they have. Most of it is also stark white. And you so can this is shoot, like this bizarre they can fucking shoot the couch from one angle. Um, yeah, yeah. They don't have the rest of the house filled out. So it looks yeah. like this like bizarre almost parody of suburbia, like some Edward Scissorhands shit or something. But it's it's not intentional, I don't think. But it, it gives off that effect, which is just highlighted all the more by the fact that asbestos felt is the homeowner. <laughs> like he's supposed to be like fucking Johnny Suburbs, and he just looks like the most maniac swamp man <laughs> ever lived. But it's just, it, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. And his wife is, and again, Asbestos Felt is one of those guys where you look at him and he definitely looks like a maniac. And you don't actually know how old he is. Um, if, I mean, you can figure it out now. But if you're looking at him in this movie uh, and someone's just like, yeah, he's 25 years old, I go, okay. If someone's like, he's 55 years old, I go, okay. Like, there's no, <laughs> he's somewhere between those two numbers and I don't know where he lands. Um, it's, it's just very otherworldly. And then, even his character he's like an airplane mechanic and he's wearing like light denim everything it's it's weird and the conversations that they have with his very normal looking wife his ridiculous old man best friend ben um they get into this argument and (laughs) so asbestos felt calls tom a big ass. That's his insult. To him. <laughs> but in a, again, in a way, it's just like, oh, you're being a big ass, Sean. It's not like that. It's just like, hey, you big ass. And, it, and it's not even his. It's everything about it. It feels very unhinged and not right and, and otherworldly. And I, it's, it's yeah. uncomfortable. Well, there's like no then, moment in the movie where they let Tom be like, feel normal in any way. Like his no. wife is just like, uh, hey, your best your best man from your wedding. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while. He's not been to the new house. I invited him over for dinner, and he's like, "That son of a bitch bastard! Why the fuck would I want him in my house?" I'm like, "What? <laughs> What's going your best on?" Friend, he's the best man at your wedding. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm making pork chop. I fucking hate pork chop." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how did this guy get married? <laughs> like, yeah, and then and then you think like, it, it, or how did we end up in the asbestos belt nightmare world too? Because then, you know, his, his best friend in the whole wide world is kicked out by Asbestos Belt. And because Asbestos Belt leads, leaves the room to deal with his weird neighbor who comes knocking. And then when he comes back, uh, his best friend and his wife are just like having a conversation that we're not privy to. And that's when he calls Tom a, a, or a, calls Ben a big ass and kicks him out. But then his wife tries to comfort him and she's like, no, honey. He was just telling me about how much he pleased his girlfriend in bed. It's fine. <laughs> what kind of a conversation is that? Yeah, it's, his girlfriend, it, who is also he makes uh, he makes clear has just turned eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, turned eighteen. Yeah. yeah. And looks like I don't know, like uh, she looks like I a don't know. Cure she, she looks like. The, yeah, like a, yeah, I was a gonna say fan. like a That's groupie good. for the New York Dolls or something. I don't yeah. fucking know. She, Somebody you'd see in the decline of Western civilization. Yeah. And she's yeah, and she's a child. Uh, so that's great. But this sort of sets into motion uh, a series of events that causes Asbestos Belt to really fly off the handle. And who can blame the guy? Um, you know, he uh, he thinks that his wife is cheating on him, and then his best friend in the whole world, who he kicked out of his house on pork chop night, decides to cut their pay by forty percent. 
And then, you know, he's upset about it. And then what's his friend's name at, at the, the stew airport? Master. You remember, the stew master, <laughs> which is another thing, Sean, going back to what you were saying about how this is a movie where Ritter includes things that you wouldn't normally include in a movie. And it just makes it all the more unnerving. So there's a character named the stew master. And not only is he named the stew master, but then we get a backstory on why he's called the stew master which is not interesting at all. It doesn't tie back into anything. It's just kind of there. He makes a good stew. <laughs> he, makes, he makes good stew. He made good stew in the army, so we call him the stew master. Great. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, this, so this sets into motion the titular killing spree. Although, Myros, as you pointed out, uh, off mic, really any of these movies could have been called killing spree just fine. Yeah, all right. yeah. You kind of swap these, these titles around. Uh, but, yeah, he, uh, he's starts killing people and this is where I, th I think the movie picks up a little bit although it, it does kind of fall into a holding pattern of literally anyone who talks to his wife for three seconds he's going to murder the shit out of that's, that's kind of the whole thing so uh it's, it's really good and and why well it's because he finds her diary where she puts down her sexual fantasies with all these men Although it turns out, it's like, is it real? Is it in Asbestos Bell's head? Or is she simply <laughs> writing erotic fan fiction for extra cash on the side? Who can truly say? Uh, I think she's writing uh, erotic fan, erotic literature. Yeah, she seems yeah. to be uh, trying to help out the family. It is a, exactly. an odd choice considering that Asbestos Bell from the jump is is very unhinged about the, the the fact that his ex had cheated on him, that, that she would just leave this sort of uh, literature around that it specifically implicates people who are in and out of the house. It's, it's, it, I get it. You're trying to make a little extra cash and help your husband out, but it, it's, it's a choice. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a great choice. And then the way that they work around it, too, is so beautifully convoluted because... Asbestos felt he just loves his wife so much that she's like, hey, I could just get a job, you know? And he's like, no, I'm going to work overtime at six other jobs. Women can't work. <laughs> yeah. so that's why he wouldn't want her to write erotic fiction because she can't do that. She's got to, she's got to send a pork shop <laughs> night. She's got to fucking keep this immaculately it's white house so funny. clean. It's a full-time so job. She doesn't want her to work because she was a flight attendant and there's a lot of shit that can happen to flight attendants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a chief concern of, of Mr. Asbestos Belt. He knows. He's a mechanic. He's working out of the innards of those planes and he, he knows what's going on. Uh yeah. It's uh it's it's all and it happened, really it, like, for me at shit, least who so. hadn't seen it before. Uh it was like, I don't know, maybe the second or third time. Probably the third the third time I was like, oh, okay. Like where the where it started getting like briefer and briefer between incidents, where I was like, okay, it's not it's not real. Um, but through there, I was like, yeah, like oh, this is just is this just the episodic nature of killing spree um, that he just keeps doing this? Um, but but yeah, it gets deeper than that. Uh, you know, as as you get used to with Ritter, it's always much more complex than it looks on the surface. <laughs> yeah who, who would have guessed this was a zombie movie yeah that's that's the big the big twist of Rue. um although i i do love asbestos belt's character he's very dedicated to uh finding new ways 
to to kill people. And sometimes it's it's just an opportunistic thing. You know, I'll drop a screwdriver into a guy's head. Um, or, or you know, I, I like how he kills weigh. his best friend. <laughs> What's that? I want to know how much the screwdriver weighs. That's a real weighted handle on that. Thing. It's a pretty heavy duty. I was thinking about that too. I was like, does he still have like his little baby soft spot that didn't fully develop, or what's <laughs> what's his deal? Well, it is uh, accompanied he, by the line of the film, and as best as felt, has a lot of great uh, killing one-liners. But the screwdriver is the best one, I feel, with where he says, "You screw my wife, I screw drive your yeah. head." Yeah, that's oh, good. Oh, we didn't mention it's, um, it's uh, some quality. Doesn't writing. this one start with basically like rip off Halloween uh, titles? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, got it an incredible opening credit sequence because it is the uh, the little Halloween riff, and then the closing credits. I I mean, do do I want to dip into hyperbole here? Maybe, maybe, but possibly the best horror end credits of all time because if there's one thing we don't see from asbestos belt he's got the look he's got the acting chops but sean i'm sure in your head you were saying can he rap (laughs) i don't know and then he does he raps over the end credit and it's it's fucking wonderful and it doesn't even start until halfway through and it's beautiful too because it's this nice sync up because uh right after they thank the local domino's pizza (laughs) Uh, in Jupiter, Florida, or where the fuck they are, then then the asbestos belt rap hits. I gotta go back and watch this. I did not catch this. You sure it's helping? Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's so good, great. man. It's great. Asbestos belt's got well, bars. It's so good. We also we also failed to mention that in uh, in Critical Madness, uh, Truth or Dare, because that that Critical Madness song uh, that ends that movie is just like what in the godforsaken <laughs> hell is happening here? Like this. It's like a, a live aid song or something. It's completely I think that, that's, fucking that's insane. another a big gun guy that Ritter was working with. That guy has been in like I, I think he was in a band called Virgin Steel or something, which uh, inspired Metallica of all things. But he was this guy. He's like a French guitar player, and he, if you were a fucking nerd in the eighties who really liked metal, then you knew who he was. But I, I mean, I don't think like mainstream wise, he's probably not a big name, but he's a fucking guy. So. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, just just wonderfully inventive kills. Uh, you know, you could just kill your best friend and his girlfriend, but why not off camera basically just rip her fucking head off and then throw the head at your best friend that he just drops dead? Because uh, that's that's a good way to kill someone. Yeah, you know, it, that is a lot of great things. Happen. And the other um, uh, talents of asbestos that we see in Killing Spree is that he might have had an alternate career path as a uh, male model of uh, sportswear or swimwear. <laughs> the buns, baby. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, he does. Like, when he's frolicking on the fucking oh, beach. Oh, no, when he's ooh, cleaning the uh, carpet. Yeah. Yeah, he's got, like, that oh, banana yeah. hammock that says buns on the back. <laughs> it's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. And then... <laughs> This is another, he knows how to treat a lady too, because when his wife comes home, after he, he kills a man because he's like an electrician, and asbestos calls him back up because he thinks the electrician was like boning his wife, and he's like, yeah, the electricity's fucked up, come back over, and then he's like, how am I going to kill this guy? Plenty of options, right? But the option he chooses is, I'm going to get a lot of machetes, and I'm going to fucking like attach them to the fan blades of a ceiling fan and then i'm going to hoist up the electrician to uh chop off the top of his head 
And then, yeah, he's got to he's got to clean up the carpet afterwards. Which his wife said, I would have taken care of that, which I mean, she fucking should have. She did. She's not working a job like that's kind of her thing. And he's like, oh, no, it was real dirty. Because <laughs> <laughs> just the screen blood. presence is uh, magnetic. It's yeah, it's good. It's really good. He's uh, he's a one of a kind guy. And it's weird, too, because how how did no one see this? How do you not just look at asbestos mm -hmm. and go, I need this man in my film? Like he, sh he should have been a guy. Like he, sh he could have, in an alternate universe, or if this was L.A. and not South Florida, I feel like Asbestos Belt would have been like a Robert Starr or any number of character actors that just have a certain look and a certain presence where uh, they develop a cult following. It could have been uh, a Unfortunately, it, it never happened for Asbestos. Could have been. Could have been in an alternate universe, Sean. Maybe. Yeah, I think uh, the Florida probably hurts it. And it's, it's just a little too late, too. Like, yeah, if he was a 70s guy with this look, he would be, uh, you'd see him in like six Toby Hooper movies or something. Right? <laughs> he does, yeah. He'd, he'd fit in nicely in uh, any number Rob of Rob Zombie movies. would be wheeling him out to this day. Yeah, Rob Zombie should wheel his ass out. Yeah. Why the fuck doesn't Rob Zombie love this guy? I wonder if Rob Zombie's ever seen a Tim Ritter film. Maybe not. To ask him. All right. Uh, well, yeah, anyways, this is great. And then, of course, we need a big finale. It's, it's a Ritter film, so the final 15 is crucial. And what do we get in the final 15? It's surprise. It's a zombie movie. Everybody comes back to life. And why do they come back to life? Uh, one, I guess, to show off the special effects, because they are pretty fucking impressive. They're really good practical effects in this. And two, because according to his best friend, uh, they died before their time. So, uh, unfortunately, that means they're going to come back to life. I didn't know it worked that way. But yeah. I know. That gives me some hope, right? It's really great stuff. And, and then you get into... <laughs> it's good, too, because then the, the finale kind of culminates the asbestos belt and his wife being locked in the unfinished part of the model home. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> in, they just open a door and it's like, what the fuck is this? Is it an attic? No, it's just uh, it's a part of the house that's not done yet. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The Apex of 1987 cinema, Sean, what do you think? Oh, I'd have to look, but it's certainly in contention. I mean, it's, it's a movie, so you definitely have to look at it if you're compiling the list. It's yeah. from 1987 <laughs> and a movie, so. Yeah. yeah possibly. Yeah, and, and I think when, when you're looking at the Oscars, I think I think Platoon won Best Picture that year, if I'm not what mistaken. Uh, oh, I think Blue Lagoon. I think Platoon. Blue Lagoon? No, only in, in your heart and in your yeah. fucking mind, you twisted <laughs> fuck Blue Lagoon won. You're like, oh, damn, I want to see Underage Brooke Shields. That's what I need. That's why you like this movie so much. As soon as his best friend showed hey, up with his barely 18. 18 girlfriend, you're like, yeah. oh, now I'm on board. <laughs> You didn't mention uh, the head, Christ, the, the, the head stuff. Yeah. Um, the uh, giving head. Oh, God. The fellatio just, stuff. The, I mean, what the that fuck? gets, who did that remind me of? It was kind of, I guess, Cron Cronenbergian. Cronenbergian. Maybe something else, too. But uh, yeah, that's, that's some decent, some decent work there. There's some good stuff. And, and I thought it was going to, the first time I saw this, I thought it was going to kind of dip into that more surreal element because the other thing with killing spree that's kind of cool is whenever asbestos belt is reading his wife's diary and losing his fucking mind we get this like 70s italian red lighting bulb. where it's just <laughs> yeah the red bulbs get flipped on so i was like okay maybe this is gonna get real fucking weird 
And there, there are, there's some amazing special effects in this and the fellatio scene where uh, a woman says she's going to like suck this dude off. And then like her entire face turns into a giant pair of like, set of sloppy lips. And then like the dude's whole upper torso just starts like coming. It's fucking gross. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this did not remind Sean of Cronenberg as much as it probably reminded him of last year when we talked about Frank and then uh, sure. Yeah, Hen and Lauder is a good touch point. Uh, honestly, it, the, the fellatio scene is just like, I don't know, what if uh, 80s Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. had a weird like plant blowjob scene? Yeah, then you could make a whole man. Oh man, that movie, then. Sure. that movie creeped me out. Of Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, it fucking freaked me out. What if that plant would talk? I'd be like, ah, shit. <laughs> did, not, did not sit well with a young Steve. But, you know, that's that's what terrified me the most as a child. When people are like, oh, horror movies that scary. It's like, horror movies don't scare me. Fucking E.T. scared me and Little Shop of Horrors scared me. Those are the two most terrifying films ever made. Also, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Scary shit. Anyways, uh, we should probably we should probably move on to the, the last of the Ritters. And uh, this is another one where, uh, quality-wise, I think it'd be pretty safe to argue that this is the least polished of the three that we're discussing, but in terms of things to talk about, holy fuck, how long you guys got? Because we could be here all day. Let me tell you about this movie. Uh, I, I'm, one, I'm excited to talk about the end. <laughs> it's an all-timer. Two, I'm excited to talk about the beginning because outside of movies that would be considered firmly in the softcore or hardcore realm, when was the last time you saw fucking hole yeah. in the opening five because there is a straight up butthole in the opening five minutes of this movie uh, the, the whole opening like even beyond that sequence it just starts with what looks like someone brought a vhs camcorder into a florida strip club and it's exciting because the woman who plays the stripper and she's another woman like especially spelt where you see her and you're like i am drawn to you and it's it's crazy. She's got the classic 1980s fake boobs that are just like just powerfully round. Like it's it looks like, like you could, if you fucking bounced a quarter off of it. Oh yeah, totally. It's like a shot. It's, it is. They're too just firm, firm. If you bounce a quarter off it, it could fly across the room and like knock someone out. Uh, and she also has. I mean, she's a Florida woman. God bless her. So you're like, are those freckles? Did you stay in the sun too long? Do you have cancer? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm in. And then you, you see her butthole immediately. That is a very famous Florida woman, John. Did you, did you know that? Do you know who's no. playing the stripper? This is Dixie Dynamite. This is 90s tabloid queen, Kathy Willets. Do you, do you remember Kathy Willets? No. Oh, oh, this is great. This is real, like, back when, <laughs> I'm going to get real old guy. Back when the tabloids really meant something. But this is when, like, the news cycle was drawn out longer. So it's like OJ was a big deal forever. John Bobbitt was a big fucking deal forever. Like, now that John Bobbitt, like, I'll give you fucking three John Bobbitts every day. Uh, But this was another from that same. Yeah. Oh, John Bonet Ramsey. Yeah. Another great one. Uh, Now it's like, oh, no, child murders. Big fucking deal. We're going to forget about it in like two seconds. We got a new fresh one. But this was a, a brief Florida story that kind of blew up into a national story. It was covered on like hard copy and current affair and shit like that. Uh, but Kathy Willets 
was a self-proclaimed nymphomaniac. And she said she had to have sex a minimum of eight times a day. And truth be told, her husband loved her. She loves her husband, but he simply could not satisfy her needs. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of cardio. And a lot of people aren't built for that. So smart thing. He decided, okay, well, I'm going to let my wife just sleep with any dude she wants, but they got to pay for it because, you know, we might as well make a little cash on the side. It's so like this goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's, it's a great business model, frankly. And clearly we are very pro-sex work here. So shout out to the Willettes for helping fulfill her needs and also getting a little cash on the side. Always try and get fucking paid. So she's doing this. But the problem is when you're Kathy Willettes and you live in Florida, there's only so many random dudes you can fuck in Florida before you start getting into random dudes with uh, various degrees of importance. <clears throat> and then what happens is her husband decides, not only do I like pimping my wife out and collecting money and she's loving it, it's great. But he's like, dude, I love to hide in the, in the closet and <laughs> jack off while she's doing this. So he's jacking it. And he's like, dude, what if I could jack it like whenever I wanted? So I'll just film this shit while I'm jacking with my other hand while my wife is banging random dudes. And then what ends up happening is she starts banging like politicians and people with, you know, businessmen that are important. And and so at some point. She gets in trouble. And part of the reason why she gets in trouble is um, she gets arrested at some point And then there's there's allegations of blackmail. And then someone either either the Willettes or someone within the police department try and sell uh, one of the, the sex tapes of her like fucking blowing some politician for like $60,000. The whole thing, the whole thing blows up. And so she is basically framed up as this, you know, suburban prostitute and her pimp husband who can satiate her sexual desires. And it's this big scandalous thing. And as you can suspect, she takes a plea deal, but it ruins her life. And she, she's like publicly, she can't do much except for being a Tim <laughs> fucking Ritter movie. That's what she can do. So that hole that you are glaring at, uh, that is a very famous hole, Sean. And you're not the first. It's too, bad. Man. It's too bad it was so only in go. like 256p. Yeah, I know. It, where's, where's our HD? Where's, where's our <laughs> up-resing? Myros, come on. Get to work on this. I want a frame by frame rest restoration. I, I don't need any higher uh, resolution on this fucking movie. This is exactly <laughs> the resolution such things are meant to be watched. It. I think it works so much better like this because it feels uh, snuff film adjacent. It, it, it looks so yeah. shitty that it's like this is not something I ought to be watching. <laughs> it does. It feels like like this is one where you got to close the curtain. You can't, if the neighbors see you watching this one, they might call the cops or at least look at you a little funny. So the, my um, question is, do you think Kathy Willett slept with Hulk Hogan at any point? Yeah, that's a really good question. I choose to believe she did. I think it's, it um, had to have happened. Yeah. So there are some I mean, real Florida people right here. Exactly. This is, this is fucking, this is the ultimate swamp love. And, and you gotta, we know Hulk Hogan, he's, he's been caught on video before. Who's to say he wasn't caught earlier? I think it's fair. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe Bubba the Love Sponge also was was lucky enough to, yeah, to be yeah. a John. It, it's got to be. She's got to be involved with these people. Say. Yeah, but uh, anyways, well, let's, she seems like a real nice lady, and uh, there's not a lot about her after the uh, you know the, the fallout from her trial, and then she did this movie, and then I found like one video of her at the like the porn awards or something in 2000. I think she 
did go into adult films. I don't know. Yes, if you uh, look but, at her IMDb yeah. page, she has two autobiographical uh, uh, pornography films, hardcore pornography films uh, about this scandal. Well, you know, if you're doing hardcore pornography, Sean has always said you got to bring a little bit of yourself to the to the role, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you just it's got to write what you know. Yeah, write what you know. So, Sean, I, t- talk to me a little bit about Creep and. I guess I, what I want to know is, is this the scuzziest thing that we've had you ever watch for Optimism Vaccine? And also, uh, how how did this emotionally move you as a viewer? Uh, well, I think uh, to give you an idea, to, to set the table, uh, I, was, I watched this, the majority of this at 7.30 this morning. Um, <laughs> that's a great way to wake hey, up. A little cup of a, coffee and a bottle. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's very strange. It seems, uh, you know, he, he's definitely like, uh, delving into more abstract, uh, abstract techniques, you know, these sort of like dance scenes that he really just kind of like lingers on and there's some like weird zooms and stuff. Um, some, some more interesting cuttings, but this one just feels like it it just lingers a little bit more in the weird, um, and sort of like the, uh, transitional scenes that, that aren't really doing a whole lot to to move the plot along. Um, so, I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I mean, I say that to, to say, I definitely appreciate it. Um, but man, it's, it's something, uh, I mean, and yeah, and this is Tim Ritter's preferred cut of the film, too. So there's 25 extra minutes here that were cut. It, it is too. It's got, certainly the full too long. Um, it doesn't yeah. have the narrative <laughs> movement. And it's not because of those those scenes I'm talking about. It's just a little too, too chunky uh, on, on uh, how it's moving from A to B. Um, but. I don't know. I liked it more than Killing Spree, but as we're talking about it, even though I watched it more recently, it's just like fading. Besides the ending, of course. But oh, you got oh yeah, you you yeah. keep getting this scene of uh, this flashback uh, where it's a home video kind of recording of dad, and he's going, what's he saying? Like touch your sister, touch your sister. Yeah, touch your sister. I don't even think it is dad. It, it's mom's boyfriend, uh, alcoholic uh, boyfriend. And then you got, yeah, you have this relationship with the mom or the, the, the daughter and the dad. And uh, I mean, it's the same amateur acting stuff. But what's interesting is that these people, a lot of times, like the dad figure in this, um, really think that they're making choices that are like scenery chewing um but when you have yeah. when you don't have like editing skills and also you're not a good actor um those just like play so in like clumsily in an interesting way i mean it's more it's more interesting than you know these people aren't just like oh i just found my neighbor and he's in my movie it's somebody who's who seems like they think they're good at acting um, so there's certainly charm in the film, especially with the way, you know, the last 10, 15 minutes play out. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. This is this is the this is sort of the ugly duckling of the, of the three. I think it's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree with you completely. It's uh, on one hand, I think it's the the movie that Tim Ritter's made that maybe challenges his audience the most in terms of you know their endurance and and like you said, there's there's parts where he's lingering entirely too long. And I knew that we were watching the director's cut. And I was like, well, what the <laughs> fuck was cut? And, and what did he add back in? And it was a lot of the things that I would say kind of sum up what the movie is. Because plot aside, this is a movie about a lot of people from Florida who you don't want to see naked repeatedly taking their clothes off. And these, these are the extended scenes. I, I keep going back to, there's a scene where a woman is, in the bathroom kind of oh, doing geez. like a strip tease for a guy who's sitting in the bathtub. Unreal. And it's, it's her dancing to music and then she pulls her top off. She kind of dances around a little bit and, you know, moves towards the camera. And then it's like reverse shot. He's sitting in the tub like, ooh, daddy like. And then it's just like shot back to her dancing. And you would think that it would just be shot, reverse shot. She gets in the tub, whatever. But it just, it, it keeps going it keeps and it's almost like it's it's like a record skipping you know it's, yeah. it's the same thing playing out but it's it's not the same footage just like looping it's it's all part of this scene and it's back and forth back and forth, forever forever it's it's really like it you wonder if he's fucking with you or if this was just like his ritter's idea of oh I, this is titillating or something but this is the kind of stuff that was that was cut and there's a lot of moments like that where things just linger way too long to the point of discomfort. So there's that going on. And then the other thing that kind of makes this the ugly duckling is it's clearly cheaper than the previous movies we discussed, but it's also the most narratively ambitious. You've got these kind of like parallel stories of this uh, serial killer and his, his sister stripper. And then there's this cop and there's molestation. And then everything is sort of like coming to a head and, it's it's really all over the place and what presents itself initially is something you're like oh it's just a guy and he's fucking crazy and he's killing women and having sex with them uh it turns out it's it's a lot more than that and you know there's god there's a woman inside of a 7-eleven and, and there's an extended scene where she's just poisoning baby food and i don't know it, it gives a certain texture and a, and a certain flavor to it this is very florida-y Especially the woman poisoning the baby food. Oh man! I firmly believe that that's like just what she does. Like that's her actual job. And and Ritter just asked her to be in his movie. But <laughs> yeah, it's this is if it's possible to overdose on Florida, this is the movie to yeah, do. Yeah, that with. opening scene or that early scene with the uh, baby food is probably like one of the most disgusting things I've seen on film. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. Yeah, uh, because you know, not only not only is she poisoning baby food, but then there's the whole extended. A cop holds a gun to her head, makes her eat it, and then she has a, a seizure where she vomits everything. Yeah, it's great stuff. I I, I don't know if she dies or what, but uh, the cop's response is to just have the Seven uh, Eleven clerk deal with it. I guess yeah. it's a uh, it's a grim movie for sure, but it's all, I, I don't know. It's uh this is like your your this is some proto A24 here. This is elevated horror, you know. It's it's all about uh, generational trauma. I uh I don't know. This is uh 
it's a real bizarre movie. I, I think it's hard to recommend to most people, but if it's your shit, uh, it's good. Like, I think this is probably my favorite of the three, and it's it's the one I had not previously seen as well, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I got impatient with it. I probably wouldn't mind to see the uh, theatrical cut. I guess I didn't even realize this was an alternate, but that makes a lot of sense because uh, this movie should not be over 100 minutes long. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. There's It's just doing some shit. Uh, there are times like a wind coop, uh, it's almost doing like a natural born killers type of thing with him and his sister. And it felt very Rob Zombie in that moment. Uh, Devil's Rejects adjacent. Uh, where they're doing this bizarre like fucking cross-dressing murder of this photographer. And his, it's a strange scene where they're just dancing around chanting mommy's little girl over and over again for like fucking eight minutes it seems like uh and yeah the whole movie you're kind of going the fuck is happening with this because there's two protagonists they say it's like a parallel storytelling but it's never intersecting and you're like why the this is gone this is a tim ritter movie uh if i rent this i'd probably be furious because it's just like get to the goddamn point like what is when is the cop going to go catch the criminal? What are, what are these people going to even fucking interact? It's like, yeah, 10 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even the cop oh, solving the crime do. at all. There's no, there, there's no element of that until, I guess, the last uh, 30 seconds of the movie. Yeah. I mean, which, and which, which crime are they going to solve, too? I mean, there's just like, it's, it's nonstop. Every single time, it's like, okay, here's a new woman in the woods. Uh, something, she's, She's doing an erotic photo shoot. She's been stabbed repeatedly. Here's a woman in the woods, and there's also a car in the woods. She's going to bang this guy in the car for a really long time and then get killed. It's just all these different setups. And yeah, it's like the, the cop stuff never, like, there's no investigation. There's no anything. It's just right, these two but things. We're that also are existing parallel to each yeah, other. Yeah. And we're also getting her flashbacks, uh, which are dealing with her mother's murder. Uh, yeah, which is revealed to be uh, perpetrated by her father, this very sort of boring, innocuous <laughs> police chief who every time he's, he's on screen, I guess he's coded as uh, potentially untrustworthy because Tim Ritter just has him uh, take a slug from <laughs> a pint of whiskey <laughs> every time he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. It's really great. But when that comes to uh, a head... My God! Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I got very few more moments of joy this week than when the, than when she can't find soap in the shower and goes to ask her father if he brought extra soap, and he says, "Indeed, it is soap time," and smashes the fucking vase over it. That's that's wonderful, and you know how do you deal with a serial killer? And this kind of gives us a blueprint. I know. With the rise in, in true crime podcasting, there's a lot of amateur sleuths out here. Here's how you fucking do it. Step one is cut off all your hair. You don't need it. It's stupid. And, and you know, someone could grab onto it and that could be a problem for you. Step two, you got to cue up a weird pulsing rock song uh, that has no, like it was just beamed from fucking outer space. And then the next step is you need to strap homemade C4 to your chest and uh, then you're off to the races, basically. Uh, but yeah, this this fucking ending is wild because not only do all these things happen, 
But then Tim Ritter did something, and if you are an amateur filmmaker, take some fucking notes from Uncle Tim here. <laughs> if anything visually interesting is ever happening in your boring fuck Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Jupiter, Florida, you know, kiss your sister, West Virginia, wherever you live, if anything interesting is happening, film it. Tim Ritter did, because clearly they were imploding an old <laughs> hotel. <laughs> and so... When he decides that he's got this footage, how do I build an entire climax around this? Well, uh, this police officer woman is going to suicide bomb the serial killer, and then I get to splice in the footage of the imploding hotel, and it's fucking beautiful. It's truly a marvel to watch, so uh, amazing stuff. What a file. You think that was his footage? I, I was uh, figured he bought it or <laughs> stole it. Cause... Also possible that he bought it or like someone he knew. Because this is a thing. Like, I remember they, they imploded like, what was it? Like the old Hudson's building in downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. And like every fucking Tom, Dick and Harry with an old VHS camera went down there to just shoot footage. Like my grandpa has a VHS tape of a fucking building imploding <laughs> in downtown Detroit. So uh, every, yeah, it was, it's a hot thing to do in the 90s. But yeah, maybe he bought it. Maybe he shot it himself. Who the fuck knows? Well, either way, it's, uh, it's, it's really wildly beautiful. the fuck out of nowhere. This suicide bombing. And then this, it just lingers on this crowd <laughs> gathered around the building for so fucking long. And the, the whole climax really plays this. Uh, and this is, uh, again, perhaps my favorite thing about the Tim Ritter uh, films is they all have like a fucking themed song. <laughs> and this one is not just limited to the credits. It like plays over this this sort of montage where she's stalking him throughout the city with her new uh, G.I. Jane haircut. Um, <laughs> and it's just like a fucking rudimentary synth, ridiculous bullshit. Uh, it, it's amazing. Goddamn. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Uh, so, Sean, I guess my, my final question for you is uh, how, how was your overall Ritter experience? What's your big takeaway? from entering the Ritterverse? Uh, I appreciated it, for sure. Uh, it gave me something that was interesting, and that's all you can ask for. Um, it's something new to me. Um, and, you know, regional is, is a really good way to go, I think, um, as we consider these in future uh, installments. Um, there's just, a, you know, distinctness and... You know, lack of, you know, worrying about the commercial viability, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, we're, we're starting off on a good foot. Love to hear it. Yeah. Go, if you're listening right now, go, uh, go embrace some Tim Ritter. You can find this shit. Yeah, all you could have here. a much worse time. Uh, you could have a much worse time. So Especially if you're looking just for some weird regional shit that is outside the norm. It's spooky season. Get fucking weird. Don't watch Hocus Pocus with your fucking mom for the eighth time. Just come on, do something better. Uh, Sean, you prefer practical magic over Hocus Pocus anyways, right? Absolutely. That's what I thought. Anyways, if you enjoyed this podcast today, that's great. Uh, oh, fuck, we got to do putovers. I skipped I them know. last week too. Do we do putovers for Sean Tober? I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to do put? Of Sean, course. you got anything to put over? Oh, okay, what are you putting over? Uh, I'm putting over uh, Aki Korsmaki's The Man Without a Past, which is from 2002, um, and a great movie about a guy uh, who gets beat up 
by uh, some punk rockers and some hoodlums and wakes up uh, without knowing anything about his life and starts fresh. Very good. So it's like regarding Henry? Don't know. <laughs> Probably better. Probably. Probably a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I would I would imagine. I haven't seen that one, but uh yeah, check that out. Myers, what are you putting over this week? Uh I don't know. I I was unprepared. I, I the only thing I've seen recently that was like kind of new to me, uh, and not that it's completely new to me, but it's new to me as a an adult viewer, uh, is Vertigo, which <laughs> I saw last week and I had not seen. Uh, as, how, as, you've as, never seen fucking Vertigo? I had only seen it growing up. I had never seen it, uh, you know, oh. as a, as an adult. And uh, yeah, yeah, it struck me as just how fucking strange that movie is and its pacing. Like the third act is just utterly bizarre, broken nonsense that just like tears apart its protagonist and uh, disregards flow entirely. And uh, I'm kind of surprised it's it's as popular amongst his works as it is because I I think it's really interesting, but it's also like i don't know i don't think it's very crowd pleasing in any way whatsoever so uh i don't know it, it kind of impressed me in that respect but uh, interesting obviously i'm sure out. uh 99% of people listening have seen vertigo but maybe you uh, saw it when you were 12 or something and if so uh yeah it's an interesting thing to revisit and i certainly haven't seen anything more uh obscure lately that i would, I would throw your way so that's where we're at <laughs> John, you know anything about this Hitchcock guy? Uh, I do. Um, huge fan. Um, I'm surprised you don't know about him, Steve. But uh, no, I will say that I I, w- I did like a Hitchcock uh, deep dive a year or so ago, and it was really fun to kind of like go back to to that uh, style and some of the stuff that you remember like really getting into and you're starting to love movies but stuff like north by northwest it's like now you can appreciate sort of the economy of of the filmmaking and and the um the humor and some of the stuff that that kind of you know reads boring maybe to like a 16 17 year old right for sure for sure yeah now that was my experience too like especially going back and watching uh north by northwest and the birds in the last couple of years i was like fuck this like I, I i appreciate them for entirely different reasons than i did when i first yeah. saw them you know uh which makes sense because my little underdeveloped dumb dumb brain when i was 13 probably didn't watch north north by northwest the same way that i watched it now. yeah yeah this is ex- pretty much exactly what i'm trying to describe with with vertigo here also it's just about the best fucking looking movie oh, sure. you know it's it's bava adjacent and there's colors in that movie are just like God damn, man! Just bring back Technicolor, please. When I when I rewatched Rear Window, I was just like, I like the, this is the best movie. Like, this is it, it has everything, and it's and it takes place in such claustrophobic setting. It's so so brilliant. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, actually, Disturbia is better, but uh, yeah, Rear Window is pretty solid. Um, <laughs> Look at that! This spawned a discussion despite the uh, mockery I was. <laughs> Myros, I, I will mock you no matter what, good or bad, I will find a way. Uh, but no, it's you you have you both have there. Um also uh you know good good riff on riff yeah, on yeah. Sean because he's he's a disturbia head. He's good a disturbia head. Yeah, yeah. 
Good movie. Fuck yeah. Putting over to Serbia this week. No, actually, I'm not putting over to Serbia. I, I rewatched Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the first time since I was, again, like a literal child. And holy shit, I was absolutely floored by that. Which one? Uh, the 78 okay. one. Uh, Donald yeah. Sutherland. So fucking good. So, so, so fucking good. Uh, I, love, I love the pacing, which I think I didn't enjoy as much as a child because it does, you know, after the pod people kind of pop out, you've got all these moments of just like paranoia and are they being chased? Are they not being chased? And it really is drawn out, but it, uh, the, I don't know. I just, I fucking loved it this time around. Like, well, we cool. should cover that. I also on love the that Donald Sutherland. I feel like, cause this is, it, there's like a, such a weird divergence of, of versions of invasion of the body snatchers, including the oddball Abel Ferreira film. Uh, that oh, yeah. the, it would probably be a really interesting thing to look at. It's good. Point. Yeah. We'll do some body snatching yeah. at some point. Uh, Blob would be a fun one to do too. The different versions of that, but well, there's only um, two of those. Yeah. There's like fucking four Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> yeah the Nicole Kidman Invasion. There's uh, yeah Body Snatchers, uh, yeah. and then the two Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the '78 one it's incredible. Donald Sutherland as a health inspector, but he like moves around like he's a fucking FBI agent. It's crazy. Uh, no one else can give legitimacy to such a dumb fucking government position. So shout out to Donald Sutherland. Also, uh, really hot women are very attracted to him. Donald Sutherland, not an attractive man, so good on him for that. Mm -hmm. uh, just continuing to pull tail, uh, one of the greatest of all time. So, yeah. Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast this week, that's fucking awesome. Guess what? There's a link in the description, and that will take you to our Patreon. And why would you like to donate to our Patreon? It's a wonderful, wonderful question. Uh, well, first of all, podcasting costs money. It, we got we to gotta host this shit. And not only do we host this podcast, but my God, the Wiseman podcast is it's part of the, you know, the broader optimism vaccine universe. If our infrastructure crumbles, who will talk to Fred Wiseman over Zoom? It's hard to say. So it's important that you give us money. Also, uh, you know, we, we run into equipment issues every once in a while. Sean's got some mic stuff going on right now. Wouldn't it be nice if we could give Sean a, a, a little help with his microphone? Sean, would you like some microphone? I would help? love that. He would love it. He would fucking love it. So, yeah, why don't you just give us some money? And if you give us money, it's not like you're going to be leaving empty-handed. If you live in the continental United States, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection. It could be anything. Anything under the sun. A VHS tape, a laser disc, a Blu-ray, a box set. Who the fuck knows? I got a big box of stuff, and you're going to get something from it. So that's cool. In addition to that, you get access to our Patreon feed, which has all kinds of exclusive content both older podcasts and old written things, as well as the occasional new episode. And if you donate at a higher tier, say $5, you get even more perks. Not only do you get all that stuff, but you get to vote in patron polls for future episodes, and you get your name read out on the air, which is one of the most prestigious honors a person can receive. It's, it's been called Better Than a Purple Heart. Myros, who are our five and above patrons right now? I will read that, Steve. But but first, uh, I also want to shout out uh, editor Colin uh, because uh, we didn't mention it up top because uh, Steve was just on his horse and ready to ride. But uh, we've got he he made us a special Sean Tober theme song, so we have a a little different uh, oh, variation right. on our our normal intro music today. Uh, thank you, Colin, and uh, also thank you. To our five dollar up patrons, David, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Every single one of them. Saints. 
Uh, Sean, are you excited to have your own theme song? I am. I am. Well, I, I'm kind of sad I didn't get to vet this, um, but we'll see. Mm. We'll see how it goes. Might have to. Yeah, once I, I, I told him to. Uh, one, we might have to workshop it for the next one, but we'll see. I mean, he did post it in the Slack for for your perusal. Uh, the, <laughs> the fact that you have not heard it and vetted it is is your own is your own choice. Uh, yeah, I I think it sounds like an early two thousand smog song. <laughs> so I think you'll really enjoy it. Sounds good. Uh, also, did you know if you donate at the top tier of our Patreon, twenty five dollars, you get to dictate a whole episode, which is very exciting. We've done a couple of them already. They're super great. Uh, you guys, the listeners, always have wonderful recommendations and things you want us to check out. So we'd love to do more of those. Give us $25. It'd be fucking cool. Other than that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com uh, or on Twitter, X, Blue Sky, what have you, at Optimism Vaccine, you can find us on there too. And uh, yeah, Myros will be waiting, staring at his inbox as he always does, gently tapping that refresh button waiting for someone, anyone, to reach out to him. So uh, that's everything for our Tim Ritter episode, and we will be back next week with more Sean Tober. Mm -hmm.